Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the CC Podcast. We're going to hear an interview that I had with Dave Glander from Reasons for Hope Incorporated. He was at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference leading our high school and junior high ministry. It was phenomenal. And uh, Andrew, I've got in my office today and we're talking through this. Andrew, my voice is shot because I was at the Field of Dreams last night. And so uh, what a game. Lucky dog. Well, I didn't know this, but Dave Glander told me that he was a Yankee fan. I put a post on social media, and he said yesterday, I, I knew I liked you for some reason. Now you don't share the same opinion. I'm starting to think that, that you only invite Yankee fans to the Bible conference to speak, because I think Crawford Loritz was, was also said that That's uh, true. during that interview. So uh, those of you who are looking to, to speak at the Bible conference uh, would join a Yankee fan club and <laughs> tag Matt in a post, and you should get your invite for the 101st uh, conference. I lost year. my voice on John Carlos Stanton's go-ahead home run last night, and then our, our hearts were broken just a half inning later when we got walked <laughs> off. But it was beautiful. It was fun. And uh, guys like Dave Glander, Dave Glander, not only a Yankee fan, but he sent me a picture. He's got a hobby where he does a hot dog cart. Uh, wow. You don't like hot dog cart uh-huh, uh-huh. in a city. Sure. Wheels, t- cabinet, the umbrella, whole the whole thing. It's like this is my hobby hot dog cart. Isn't that something? Does he does it like just for his like home bar, or does he actually go out into the town and sell hot dogs? The picture that he sent me looks like he goes out in the town, but I don't know where. I mean, because the first imp- impression I get is like you know guys who have like a really nice you know man cave in their basement where they got a full wet bar or something like this, and so I'm picturing Dave having a man cave and like putting a hot dog cart in there, and and when he's got friends over to watch March Madness, then he serves them all up. Chicago dog with, you know, that would be awesome. (laughs) That makes me want to get a hot dog cart. I think you should. Uh, So great interview. Dave Glander came from a rough background. He was a devout atheist, self-described. Rough background is is putting it mildly. um, Cocaine at the age of six as a preview. Um, Crazy. Rough background uh, is, is, is pretty mild when you think about that. We had a lot of great interaction during the Bible conference in addition to this interview that people are going to listen to, the guy's got ADD. He's got energy coming out of his ears. I can't imagine what he was like on drugs. Like, oh, boy. Yeah. Off the charts. Yeah, but it, the place that he's in now and just the, the story of his of, of how God has, has kind of taken him, repointed where he goes and um, focused that energy for, 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 his, for God's purposes – uh, remarkable. Just great to hear him talk You're, that. you got a nice beard, Andrew. Did you see? Have you seen a picture of Dave? No. Uh, I, Dude's I got a massive beard. Well, I think even more highly of him then. It's, that's, beard brothers got to stick together. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was cool, there was a young man who was kind of had some issues going on in his life, and he approached me, and I told him I'd 
get together with him one afternoon. Well, as it turns out, I needed to get together with Dave Glander that same afternoon. So Dave and I and the young man went to Pablo's, got a burrito, came back to the Bible conference and sat around a picnic table and talked. And it was really cool to see a guy like Dave, who's obviously not only good in front of a group teaching from the Bible or teaching about apologetics, but to see him just one-on-one with a young man who's got some questions and some struggles. He's genuine as the day is long, totally committed to what he's doing, and uh, loved loved getting to know him a little bit. Yeah. You listened to that interview. What what do you remember of it or what stands out to you? What struck you about Dave? Just you know the, the depths of, of sort of despair that he came from um, and, and how um, – I thought kind of his story of, of how um, how God pulled him out of that, but but even sort of the process that he went through, um, you know, for being somebody who was addicted to drugs for that long um, and, and who was that far from God, um, and then to hear kind of his, uh, he went through it and he went through his um, conversion, I guess, in, in sort of an academic way. He, he acknowledged that that there was a higher power involved in his conversion but was reluctant to say that it was that it was the the true god our, our the, the christian god um and so went through actually a sort of a systematic well maybe it was maybe it was buddhism maybe it was islam and, and sort of went through trying to to filter um you know the, the cause of his turnaround um, before he really came to the fact that no, that it was it was God, you know, the true God. Uh, that that just that, that was fascinating to me that that somebody who was who was that deep and and that stuck, especially in the drug culture and in 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 being high all the time and, um, but that yet that's how his mind worked and and that's mm-hmm. like how he came came back to God. Just a fascinating story and, and fascinating to hear him tell it. Like you said, his high energy is just very entertaining to listen to. I know we took a few rabbit trails in that conversation and, and covered a lot of territory. One of the things we talked about was this notion that apologetics is no longer needed. I don't know if you've ever run into that, but it, I remember when I was doing college ministry back in the early 2000s, there was this sense that we don't need to spend our time on apologetics, on proof proving the existence of God, the reliability of scripture, the resurrection of Christ, because kids these days, as as the narrative went back then, sure. kids these days aren't interested in those kind of heady questions. They're more relational and emotional. We need to connect to them socially and and put our emphasis there and not spend so much time on the apologetics and on the head side. And I sadly, to a degree, I think bought into that, but I'm convinced that at some point, if you're a serious Christian, you've got to deal with some head issues, yeah. right? Uh, to me, it's honestly, you can't have one without the other. Um, the apologetic side, I think, is is of utmost importance. Um, but I think, I think it, you, you merge the two ideas because I mm-hmm. think that people right now in the political and social culture where we are. Um, you know, people, we're in, we're in a culture where we yell at each other on Facebook and Twitter and social media every day. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have a relationship with the person to start with, mm-hmm. they're not even going to listen to your argument. They're just, they're going to reject you talking to them at the beginning. So if you can establish a relationship to open them up, um, that's step one. And then step two is where the apologetics comes mm-hmm. in because 
people are skeptical and and I think being ready to defend with with good logic with with salient points being able to then con- convince somebody this is why I believe what I do yeah um you you open the door with the with the relationship and then you 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 know bring them around or god brings god brings them around mm-hmm. um by being able to 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 use apologetics and 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 make your point clearly and i think each person is probably wired differently so there might be more head sure. people that come at it from the head direction first and more yeah. uh relational people who come at it that way i i know that one of the things that over the years i've been asked about by atheists is you know how can you have that much faith and actually when I look at the evidence, it's it's not I'm not some faith superhero. Right. I, I describe myself as electricity. I take the the path of least resistance. <laughs> sure. And and literally I think that the least resistance is to trust that there is a God, that the scriptures are inspired by him, mm-hmm. that Christ was who he said he was, and that he died and rose again. When you look at the evidence a lot of great people. Josh McDowell has a book out called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Mm-hmm. Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. Right. Uh, Tim Keller, The Reason for God. There, there's gazillions of these. Right. Um, but I'm left on the path of least... It's actually a bigger step of faith right. for me to not believe yeah. than to believe. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, yeah, it, I've, I've heard it said in multiple instances that it takes more faith to be, to be an atheist than it does uh, to, to be a Christian. Um, because you have to, you have to take more, you have to assume more things, um, to, to kind of get around all of the evidence for God. Um, but again, that's where I think a lot of the apologetics comes in because you have to be ready to, to point those things out. And, and if you, uh, if you're prepared, um, not not just emotionally but academically to to point some of those things out when you have when those conversations come up you know then you've got great opportunities to to bring people at least one step closer to christ amen yeah i think this is a great interview dave's a great guy so enjoy it and thanks for tuning in Okay, I got Dave Glander here. Dave is with Reasons for Hope, and Dave has been leading the ministry that we have at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, the 100th annual Cedar Falls Bible Conference for our junior high and high school students. Dave, good to have you here What's with up, us. What's up, man? It's great to be here. I'm super blessed to uh, 100th year, man. Like 100th year. That's crazy. Uh, hey, what's with the goldfish? So the goldfish over on the table here. So the preacher last night, Phil Hopper, gave this, um, I think it's one of the most poignant moments that I, I've been around the Bible conference since I was a kid. Yeah. I've been to every single session, but 40, 40 plus years, yeah. I'm 45. And uh, he has these four goldfish in a bowl up on the stage during his whole message. He's talking about the parable of the lost sheep, and he's talking about God's heart for the lost. And you're wondering what these fish are doing up here and goes through it. So he right. leaves it a mystery, kind of like he doesn't initially talk about The it? whole time. Oh, yeah. I love that. That yeah. grabs your tail. You're like, what is with the fish? <laughs> I know. And so at the end, he goes, these fish, the analogy is basically like, these fish are on the inside of this bowl. They don't care about you. They don't even know you're here. Yeah. And a lot of times that's how church people are. Ooh. The, the, the people who don't know Christ, who are dying in their sin, who are headed to hell without faith in Christ, uh, but but the, the they're out there, but the church is all huddled in here. We have yeah. no idea that they're there, and we don't really care about them. Yeah. So he takes the net, 
and takes a fish out and just puts it on the stool. It's flopping around. He goes, guys, this fish is dying right now. Oh, man. Oh, and, wow. And he's like, and, he's, and he draws it out like probably a minute or two. And he's like this, he's like, it can't, it can't breathe. And oh, it, wow. And he's like. Peter and, wasn't, and he's Peter like, wasn't involved. Like, <laughs> and, he goes, okay. and he goes, these three fish that are still in here, they don't know what's out here and they yeah. don't care. Wow. And, and so then he draws it out, keeps talking about like in a spiritual sense, if these are humans, these, these people are headed to hell when yeah. they die. Yeah. If they don't know they're Christ. Suffocating. Yeah, they're, that, they're that suffocating. breath of life is, is And being so removed. He, he's like, and you, have, you could cut the tension with a knife. I mean, people are like, is he going to literally gonna- let this fish <laughs> die in front of us? Now, never mind. It's a fish. Yeah. I mean, I'd stick a hook through that thing and throw it out in the river I've, and catch I've something. I've fed thousands of those to Oscars and tanks. <laughs> you I know you. what but, I mean? But that's different, though, man, when it's sitting there flopping on the stool. And so it's and so then, so he's like, you guys want me to put the fish back in the water? And everyone's like, yes, yes. <laughs> and I mean, I, I'm, I'm loving it because I don't know exactly where he's going, but yeah. I, I can tell that this is a, a poignant moment. Yeah. So he scoops it up. Puts it, and he's down on his knees this whole time. Yeah. Scoops it up, puts it in there, and everyone's like, it breathes a sigh of relief. And then here's the punchline. He goes, some of y'all care more about that fish right there than your lost friends. Ooh. Ow. And it's just like, that's preaching. Ow, that man. is preaching. That's, that's right between the eyes right there. <laughs> so, I love it. Anyway, we've got a family of, of uh, kids who wanted to have those fish, so they haven't picked them up so yet. So they've adopted so them. They're that's waiting. Awesome. The, the fish and lived. The four, and the fourth fish I can attest to is swimming. He's happy and he's, <laughs> he's fine, just in case you were wondering. Hey, bro, so tell me some of your story. Uh, you know, we found you through a connection. You had a great week of ministry. Um, and, and kind of the video that you sent us to promote your ministry, you know, you said you were basically a devout atheist and you turned into a Christian. Uh, you got a big old Duck Dynasty beard. You got tattoos all over <laughs> well, your arms. At least you arms. got the Duck Dynasty part right. I went to a Jewish uh, Christian festival one time. They kept trying to put the tefillin on me. And I was like, I'm not Jewish. And they're like, what's with the beard? And I was like, haven't you seen Duck Dynasty? Yeah, that's why. I'm not, I'm, I got the big nose and the beard. And they, they were confused, man. They couldn't figure me out. Hasidim. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. They were like, why? I was like, oh, don't worry about it. That's if you've never great. seen Duck Dynasty, don't worry about it. So tell me some of your story. So, uh, I mean, in a nutshell, the elevator version is I grew up in New England. There's really not a whole Where lot at? of Jesus Connecticut. Okay. Right across from the New York border. So New York was kind of my backyard. Yep. And uh, there's not a whole lot of Jesus in, in Connecticut, New England area. Yep. Uh, went to public school, told Darwin, figured it out. I, I didn't have any necessity for God at all. You know what I mean? Like, right. They told me he figured it out. We were all a great big cosmic accident. Yep. Life has no ultimate purpose. And because I had been through... Um, what, a lot of people who are buying Darwinism, they don't connect the dots to the life no has, has no ultimate because purpose. Because they think they can develop their own purpose. And what I'm telling them is I'm like, that ends up putting you in a padded room in a straitjacket because you're trying to develop your own. So each person's left to develop their own purpose. Well, what is the purpose if there is no purpose giver, if there is no means to an end or, or something that's beyond us that can establish per I use an illustration with a dollar bill all the time, and I'm like, look, if I give this to you, you can buy an ice cream. I don't know about nowadays with an ice cream. Yeah. But it used to be a dollar bill. You can get it. So let's change it into a $5 bill. You can yeah. buy an ice cream with it. Would you take it? Of course they would. And I crumple it up. I put a tear in it. You know, I rub it on the ground. You I'm still like, take yeah, it. What, what are you still taking? They're like, yes, because there's something that's in there that's more valuable than the piece of paper. That it, it, There's something that backs its value. Yeah. And so in the same way, Christ backs our value, and that's the only thing that gives us value. So when you're in that world of atheism yeah. and there is no ultimate God over anything, then what is there that can give something a standard of value? Each person's left to determine that value for themselves. Well, again... 
you're going to be a dog chasing your tail. I, I yeah. lived that. I lived 30 years of that. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, so go back to your story. So you, Darwin figured it out, and um, you know, I'd been doing drugs since I was six years old. I had a six. Yeah, I know. Give I know. me. I mean, tell me how that happens. So Audrey was one of my next door neighbors, and she thought it would be great to give me and Scott. Uh, Scott was seven. I was six. Your brother? Uh, no, he's just a neighborhood friend. This was back in the day when like. There were Kids no just ran cell around. phone pagers. You know, there was none of that stuff. You just went out and did your thing, you know. And so, Did you she, live in an urban setting or? Yeah, uh, suburban setting. I mean, it's New Milford, Connecticut. It was a real small town. Okay. Um, actually, area-wise, it was one of the largest places in Connecticut, but population-wise, it was a real small town. Yeah. Um, 50, uh, now, uh, Mr. Deeds, you ever seen Adam Sandler? Oh, the, yeah. The Corvette scene down where the pizza shop was? Yeah. That's New Milford, Connecticut. That's oh, where I wow. grew up. So I like actually, it was filmed there? It was filmed in there. I mean, the, the other Mr. scenes were Deeds. filmed. Yeah, I know. Man. I was like, that's Mr. Deeds. That's my hometown right there, man. <laughs> and uh, so it's just a small town. But um, I have ADD. What was I talking about? You're talking about <laughs> uh, drugs at oh, six, yeah, 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 at yeah, six yeah. years old. Maybe, maybe the drugs had more of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I so Audrey thought it would be funny to give Scott and I uh, cocaine laced in our Coca-Colas. Where know? did Audrey get this? She was 20-something some, years old. Yeah, I was six. Scott was seven. She was like, Denise. Cocaine laced what? Coke. Like she dumped cocaine into our Coca-Cola. And then she gave us something called Rush, which was like helicopter gas. And it was an instantaneous, like, rush of, of speed. So, I mean, that was. And then, I mean, by the time I was nine, I started smoking marijuana. And it, it just, you know, yeah. the devil had my number. I'll, yeah. I'll put it that way. And, um. Fast forward, 26 years old, um, my mom passed away from cancer, and she was like my best friend. And when that happened, I just died. Did you grow up in a, were your parents together when you grew up? Oh, yeah, up? yeah, yeah. My, yeah, my parents were together until my mom died. And, Not believers? Uh, no, nah, I don't think so, no. I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm hoping my mom made it because there's some keys that I look back, and I'm like, you know, maybe she, yeah. said, you know, Grace is so simple, so maybe she, but my well, dad. you never know what's going on in a person's heart. You don't, right? and, and I can look, well, you know, with my dad, he died about two years ago, and I'm honest with these students, man, I'm like, my dad is in hell, and I hate that, but I know my dad rejected Christ when he was on earth, like, when he would visit me, he would say, I don't want to talk about that nonsense that you're you, into. You have no hope that even up at the end of his life. I don't think, I was there when he died, and I tried wow. to share the gospel with him before he lost consciousness and wow. ended up dying and he just to his deathbed he just and that but that's look man do i like that no but right. is that the reality of what we're up against i gotta be yeah. honest yeah, why does the can't path preach, i can't preach my dad into heaven you know right. what i mean like each person makes their own decision and yeah unfortunately for him that's but that's why that's why we should take that so seriously the goldfish example yeah. you know i mean yeah like, there are people that are literally headed to hell you know i believe that and yeah i'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher by any means i'd rather talk about jesus and all the good stuff he's done for me and yeah. he's wanting to do for you but at the end of the day hell is a real place so yeah so yeah i was 26 so yeah how'd you get from atheist so, darwinist to that well i didn't even, i didn't even realize i was like an atheist until i moved to georgia when i was 18 i went into the bible belt man and all of a sudden oh. i'm surrounded by all these brainless christians who look like the world to me they're in, they're in the world they're in the world they're in the, the church but man they're doing the same divorce rate was just as high is, and they're arguing over what denomination is going to hell and i'm like and i'm on the outside watching going i don't want nothing to do with what you guys got brainless christians is a sharp description well, and, I, and I, so thought there was a, I thought there was a sign hanging outside the door that said you have to check your brain at the door anytime yeah. i challenged a christian in their beliefs i would get i just you know the bible says it that was I, all i ever got and i'm like well that's I used to go uh, speak to the Navigators kids at the University of Northern Iowa here in Cedar mm -hmm. Falls. And for whatever, there's a couple reasons for this, but the atheist group would always show up yeah. when, when I was speaking. They like to just give me heck. I love that when that happens. Yeah, I do I, too. I love it. And uh, they would sit in the front row 
And there's, you know, 50, 60 Christian kids kind of scattered around. Then these atheist guys just ready to hammer me during Q&A. And they would ask phenomenal questions that were well thought of. And I would, every time I'd say at some point during the Q&A after these atheists had unloaded what they had, and, and, you know, the Christian kids are sitting sitting up there, like, wanting to fight these guys. It's yeah. like, no, man. No. It's like, what you, there's a bunch of Christians sitting up here who have never wrestled with these questions. Exactly. And you better wrestle with these because yeah. these are legit questions. Yeah. And if you haven't thought about this and if you haven't come to terms with this, then your faith isn't as grounded as it needs to be. So let me, so let's take a deviation from my story for a second. Yeah, let you Let me bet. say something. So this is my first time here at Cedar Falls Bible Conference. Yeah. And first time meeting these kids. And um, I've been doing youth ministry for almost two decades. You know, yeah. I, I do adult ministry as well, but I, I just have a heart for the youth, man. I guess because I grew up not knowing the truth, and I don't want this generation to. I want to at least expose them to the truth and give them the choice. You know what I mean? So they don't end up doing going down the road that I went down. Yeah. So of course I started this week Sunday night. You know, I started Sunday night with with a certain mentality about how I'm going to go approach. Let me tell you what, man. Plug for Cedar Falls Bible College. I can tell that this is the hundredth year. I can tell that it's been non-denominationally Bible taught the entire time. I can tell that apologetics has wow. been driven through here because that's I. By day two, hear my heart when I say this. I stopped focusing on the presentation of the gospel for salvation because I realized that man, these kids are solid in their faith. Like I'm, wow. I'm not saying every kid in that room. We were we were pushing 50, 60 kids. It's saved. Time. I'm not saying every kid is saved. You know, we don't know their heart. Right. But I didn't. It's like, man, because of Bible, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference that's been going on and these kids being exposed to it, they know what what that is. They know what the gospel is and and whether they've responded or not. So what I did was I was like, all right, we've got to shift a little bit. Let's take their faith and figure out how to make them bold believers in their faith. Let's let's break the ceiling that they put on their faith with, you know, I got saved. You know, last night my closing thing, you know, tonight we're just kind of playing around and just hanging yeah, out and having yeah, a good yeah, time. Yeah. Just to, We've bombarded them with so much information already. Yeah. You know, last night my, my presentation was, I'm, I'm saved, now what? Yep. And it was all about, like, all right, what does the life in Christ look like going forward, you know, now that I'm saved? And I'm just telling you, man, I've been preaching for years that apologetics makes a difference. Apologetics makes Those kids knowing how to defend their faith makes a difference. And while I think this week they've been bombarded with stuff that's given them so many tools to take home with them, I can tell that they've already been established in that. What a difference, man. So thank you to Bible Fall, or Cedar Falls Bible Conference because you made my job easier because and you could take I didn't them have further. to. Uh, yeah, I didn't have to start at the beginning with them, man. They were already kind of edging there. I was just like, man, I picked up on that, and I was like, all right, let's carry this football down to the goal line, man. I did. It was awesome. That's, that's a really They're great sharp. endorsement. And kudos to the parents and the yeah, leaders amen. and the people who poured into them. Uh, way before I was around or anybody, you know, this next generation of leaders. But um, it works. That's that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it was evidence to me, an encouragement for me to keep going because you can see it works. So uh, I I grew up doing some college ministry after college. I, I, w- I was in college ministry and I led college ministry as part of some church leadership stuff. And there was an era and I've, I've been away from the local church ministry for a while there was an era where they were saying, you know, kids today, ministry needs to just be relational. Kids aren't really into apologetics. Nah, kids nah. Are, have you ever heard that? I, I, and, and, okay, and so I, I haven't heard re- that. I haven't heard that as much as I've just heard a total ignorance to what apologetics is. I meet youth pastors all the time who have never heard the word. They have no youth clue pastors, what youth pastors. And if they've heard the word, they have no idea how to apply it. And, and I mean, I'm just like, how? I mean, New Testament practice has apologetics going on. Like, it's not a new study. 
it's been going on since the apostles. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I can make a defense and go and going back into the Old Testament with certain things the way yeah. they carried themselves. It's not like it's a new thing. So tell people who don't know what apologetics means, what is apologetics? So first, I wish it was a different word because everybody's like, what are you sorry for? And I'm like, yeah. I'm not sorry for anything. <laughs> um, there's an apologetics inside joke. It's like, I'm sorry we're right and you're wrong. But anyways, um, <laughs> but, but um, First Peter 3.15, it's uh, everybody says the middle part, and I want to make sure we cover the whole verse. Always be ready to give a defense to anybody who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, which is why our ministry is called Reasons for Hope, because we're established to give those reasons of hope and, and teach the, the generation behind us and, and in front of us and, and the existing one that's sitting, whoever our audience is, we want to give them that defense because that defense in Greek is apologia, yeah. and it means make a defense. And so we're supposed to be ready to make a defense to anybody who asks us for the reason for the hope that is in us. But the first part of that verse says, in your hearts first set apart Christ as Lord. Yes. That's first and foremost, man. Like apologetics is a wonderful evangelism tool, but it's not about arguing somebody into the kingdom. Like, you can't do that. Right. And 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 a lot of people think apologetics is meant to just formulate an argument so that you can win an argument. And it has if you're not winning a soul, you've lost a point. So that first part is set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. That's the first thing. Yeah. Then be ready to give a defense. And it finally finishes with, but do this with gentleness and respect. You're not out to win an argument. What I'm trying to do is go out and put, have you ever seen like a crack in the sidewalk? Oh yeah. And, and like, you know, grass or a flower or something's growing out of yep. it. All I'm trying to do with apologetics and what I'm trying to get these kids to understand is your job is just to go put a crack in the foundation. You're not meant to go and, you know, change people's hearts and minds in an instant. All you're supposed to do is, like Greg Kokel says, put a pebble in their shoe. Yeah. How long do you walk with a pebble in your shoe before you fix the problem? Yep. Not long. And so when we ask these good questions to people, let's go back to, to, the, to the goldfish. Mm-hmm. Part of what we do at Reasons for Hope, part of what I do is I'm, part of, I'm the director of the Miked Up team where we take um, youth and, and college age because we want to put them on the camera and show, like, hey, look, they can do this. And yep. hopefully it's going to inspire the other youth to do the same. Like, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. But our goal is to go out and hit the streets and get man-on-the-street footage, mm-hmm. and we're asking tough questions. Well, here's the thing. People ask, well, why do you do that? What is, what is the point? Well, we've run into some really good conversations off camera um, about the gospel, and, mm-hmm. and, and the Lord's used that. But our primary objective is to go out and get the footage from the goldfish that are outside of the bowl because the goldfish inside the bowl have no idea that the goldfish outside of the bowl are really believing these things. They, like, hear about it, but they don't realize that, man, no, there's a lost and dying world that is believing a lie over here. Yep. We, as the church, have the information to correct the lie, yep. but the church doesn't even realize that that's the thing. Yeah. When I play footage for people, people are like, people really believe that? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Like, you're so caught up in your fishbowl. Yes. You have no idea that outside the fishbowl are these ideas and these worldviews that we have good information to contend with those. We can put a crack in their foundation or a pebble in their shoe, but they don't even know it exists. So that's a lot of the reasons why we do that. The lies that people are believing that are keeping them from Christ aren't like these silver bullet lies that you can't overcome. They're pretty simple. They're usually simple. I, um, I just out of necessity, when Uber came to this area, I drove Uber for a while. Yeah. Uh, on Friday and Saturday nights, it's a college town. And so it's kind of a waste of time. It's not a big enough city where there's enough yeah. traffic. But Friday and Saturday nights from like about 10 p.m. to about 3 a.m., you get a lot of money. Oh, yeah. I mean, relatively driving You're a Uber. night out, too, I can tell. I am. Yeah. And so uh, they would 
I, it was just great exposure for me sure. to the world. Yeah. And it's not like I was naive about any of this. But, but no, to, you weren't. You weren't. But I, I'm going to use that goldfish illustration. Tell me who did it. I'll give him credit because that, that's so perfect <laughs> because you, you aren't. Pastor Phil Hopper. Pastor Phil Hopper. You aren't 95% of the church. And I'm not picking on the church. No, I know. I'm not, I'm not downgrading the church. I'm just, it's a reality. But, the church, we get so caught up in our world. When you're talking about that, I, I, was, I, I would spend, you know, there would be some crazy interaction that happened or some yeah. crazy scenario or some crazy conversation. And, and I mean, I didn't even go in there being like, my, my purpose was to make money. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even to like shine the light of Christ. Yeah. But when a conversation would come up and usually it's these drunk college kids yeah. and they're crying about something and you, you try to minister to them in yeah. whatever way that was effective. Um, but I remember having the, the kind of sense land on me or the conviction or the insight land on me, uh, you know, after some of those nights, like Christians should drive Uber. Yeah. I mean, just get out of your fishbowl yeah. and just look at this. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is I also love these kids yeah yeah absolutely. i mean I, we had great conversations we made great connections yeah but just get get around people who are outside the faith and just rub well, shoulders with them see how they act see what they think and see how much you like them we're gonna we had that bus out here for a little while parked the, the, the debunk bus. bus yeah um <laughs> she's playing with the gold <laughs> um we had the uh debunk but what that bus does we're going on our second tour in uh September and we're actually what's the September. website for that bus uh, the website for the bus is debunked.org okay yeah just debunked.org um, so you can go to our website it's R-F-O-R-H it stands for reasons for hope R-F-O-R-H.com perfect and uh, listen we have an app if you text 51555 put adios put adios space cedar so we'll know you're coming from cedar falls yeah um, it's a free app all this I mean we have tons of content that's done really really well and what it's meant to do is like, man, you have that app on your phone, you run into a conversation, you don't quite have the answer. Well, guess What's what? the number? I'm doing this right it's now. It's 51555. Adios Cedar? Yep. Text the word Adios space Cedar. And then uh, immediately you'll get a uh, response back. Go in there, just drop your basic information. We already have your phone number because you texted it. See that link? Just click on there. Wow. And all you do is you just put your name and email address in there. What what that does is it gets you on our debunked defenders list. Oh yeah. You get uh, newsletters from where we're at because we're we're we've got five speakers within our organization. We're all over the place. Um, you get the newsletters, but you also get the debunked videos and content like a month ahead of time before oh, we release it to the public. Yeah. Um, but it's meant for like man, if you're out doing something and you can't get the answer. The app is right there. Click on it, and most likely there's a video that we can have you play Explains. that sparks that conversation. Because again, you're not going to have every answer. We're not looking for that. How long have you guys spent developing this? this? There's a lot of infrastructure. Uh, here. Yeah, I mean those videos were they're done really, really well, like really, really well. And, that's and great. That's, that's because we wanted it to be something quality. They're fast paced. Uh, the graphics are flying at you. They're they're everybody. Who are sees you the them. guy who oversees the video stuff? Is no, that what you said? Uh, Bub Cuns is the uh, voice behind it. He and uh, Carl write the uh, Carl Kirby's the, the founder of the ministry, and he's the one who he and he and Bub get together, write the scripts out, and then we have a uh, editing team that's incredible that actually does the video editing and in, in, in the give Carl Kirby's background in about two or three sentences. Carl Kirby was a uh, born and raised under the uh, professional wrestler, like a. 
WWF, WWE, <laughs> professional, no like his dad was a... Someone like, who looks like you. Oh, he's like eight <laughs> foot tall and 800 pounds. I mean, he was a beast. And so he grew up under that. He uh, became an air traffic controller. Wow. Um, he was four years away from retirement from air traffic controller because he can retire at an early age. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And um, the Lord got a hold of him, man. He didn't grow up in Christian. He got radically saved and set free, started studying apologetics, and the Lord called him out four years before retiring and said, I need you just to go. And where'd and he go? He went to uh, Answers in Genesis and he was um, one of the founding board members over there. And, and now a, he's doing his own thing. Yeah, and then he left there about, uh, I think it was 2009, started Reasons for Hope and, and Reasons for Hope is, is just an incredible ministry. So let's get back to your story. All you right, were so at 26. 26, my mom dies and I was, I was absolutely hopeless. I went back to my home in Georgia. She was in Florida. I went back to my home in Georgia, went to work and I was offered a line of Coke hadn't done coke and since i was a, a little child i i was more of a hippie Where drug were you working? Kind of, uh co- remodeling just okay basically remodeling i was more of a hippie drug you know yeah lsd and marijuana and those sort of things you yeah. know hallucinogens and yep. hey, you mean, shrooms you yeah shrooms and stuff like that um hadn't really hit the hardcore drugs didn't need them i mean i've got so much energy i didn't feel like i needed them <laughs> you know? and so i offered, can tell that but, I, but man i was i was so down man i was like all right let me try this I, I needed something because my depression was so strong so i tried it nothing happened second time tried it nothing happened third time it wasn't coke it was crystal meth it was ice and man rocked my world and for the next four years became a massive addict left my Wife and they son. say that's like the most addictive. That's listen, man. That's the one that Satan like stopped what he was doing, found a guy in a white lab coat, whispered in his ear the ingredients for it, and then went to his, back to his work because that one, wow. that one's different. You don't it, it grabs a hold of you. So you were married and had kids. I married and had one child, one boy, and and I let I it got to the point where I was so down and out. That, and I mean, I was 110 pounds when I met the Lord. I had withered away to nothing. Wow. I lost my my car got repoed. My house was in foreclosure. I left my wife and son was living in a there was a the guy who actually got me started he was overseeing the estate of a of a old vietnam vet that had passed and because it was a vietnam vet it took a while for the paperwork to go through so the house was empty squatting basically i, I was i was squatting in a corner of a room on some couch cushions that i had found i mean that was what my life had been reduced to and wow. so i went home one night i'd go home periodically just to visit you know not very often um i went home one night and my wife had been reading this book knowing jesus personally and a Billy Graham library series. It turned out to be a New Testament commentary by the Billy Graham library is yeah. what it was. But Billy Graham to me was another television evangelist like they yep. all were. And yep. had, you know, so I just started mocking that book. I started mocking her for reading the book, which mocking the book, mocking her led me to just mocking God. And so mm. I just started to just sit there and I was just calling God every name under Did the sun. Did you just think you were smarter than everyone? Or, you know, it's a funny question. I, I don't, one time somebody asked me what I believed, and when I tried to explain it two hours later, I had even confused myself. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if I, I thought I was smart, but when somebody challenged me on that, I was like, whoa. That poor guy walked away like, okay. He had no clue what to say, man, that poor guy. I just find him and apologize. I'd give him a hug or something because, man, yeah. that poor guy, he was like just looking at me like I don't even know what. I was looking at myself like I don't even know what. I just spewed nonsense for two hours about my worldview. So. But uh, anyway, I called out to God. I just, I didn't think anybody was on the other end of that phone call, man. And I just cried out. And was I, there a moment that you remember calling out to God? Or oh, was this no, a, this, a series this, of this, time? No, this was the moment. I was home that night and she was reading that book. And I just, 
started picking on the book, then picking on her, then picking on God, calling him every name under the sun. I didn't think anybody was listening, you know. I'm just yelling through the ceiling of my house because, I, man, I was 110 pounds, and I'd lost everything. If I had had a gun, you I would have pulled the trigger. You were literally yelling? I was and, yelling. And your wife and kids are there? My, my, luckily, my son's asleep. My wife was there, and she's in tears because I'm, I'm crying, snot crying. Like, I was done. If, man, I was afraid to jump in front of a truck because I figured I'd be a paraplegic and fail. Afraid to overdose because I'd just end up in a hospital, get my stomach pumped. I was so low and out and down and out. I was, I was afraid to fail at failing. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if I had had a gun at that time, I would have pulled the trigger. There's no doubt in my mind. That wow. That would have. That would have. I probably would have missed my brain and got off the side of my ear or something. <laughs> like I was afraid to fail at failing. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I was crying out to this. You know, if you saw me, I'm putting out the air quotes. Yeah. This God supposedly that was there. And my argument was this, what kind of a God would you be to like create me and leave me to this? I wasn't yep. taking ownership of all the bad choices I made that got right. me there. I was just simply saying, man, you'd be a sadistic God. Even if you were real, I wouldn't serve you. And yeah. here was my altar call. Ready? If you're God, do something about it. And so, man, my wife put me to bed that night and I woke up. The Your next wife must be something. She's awesome. Are man. you still married to yeah, her? Yeah, she's my best so, friend. So like she put that, put up with you through all she that. She prayed for me that whole time, man. She just so she had become it. a believer. She went to Christian school and then walked away from God, but that seed, you know, raise up a child in the way you should go. Yeah. So that, that Christian school, she got to the point where she didn't know what to do. You was know? that book something that helped lead her back to Christ? I or? think so, yeah. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. She was. She, so she put you to bed. So she put me to bed. I woke up the next morning who I am today. I don't remember what it's like to be high. I had no withdrawals. I And, and if you know meth, that doesn't happen. Like, you have to go through... Uh, methadone you've got to go through treatment centers yeah. you know you've got yeah. to, you've got to go through narcotics lighter than meth to yeah. bring you off the, the your body has a counter reaction to it i don't have time to tell the whole story yeah, yeah, because yeah. i for nine months i battled that counteraction trying to get off and finally just gave up i was like i'm stuck for the rest of my life on this drug i can't get off and man i woke up and it was gone i, I don't remember what drip tastes like i don't wow. nothing my cursing mouth was gone he, he just everything that and i had this peace man i just i just had this like had this peace all of a sudden so did you stay home from that point on yeah yeah i was messed up man i didn't my worldview didn't allow for supernatural brother <laughs> like my worldview was straight up naturalism and now all of a sudden i'm like hold it like i said if i had the time to tell this whole story for nine months i tried and i, I tried what to get off i couldn't get off i couldn't I, I was stuck on meth yeah i couldn't my body would not allow me to get off of it that's what i'm saying it's the one that satan stopped and yeah. did this because once you start getting on meth so you it takes over your your physical body. So you come, chemical. you you basically have this moment where you cry out to the Lord. Would you say that's when you accepted Christ? Theologically, yes. I don't know how that works because the rest yeah. of the story is this: I didn't know who did it. All I knew was, man, my soup, my natural world just got rocked with the supernatural. Yeah, I had a peace about me, so I started studying Buddhism. I thought Buddha must have done wow. it. Wow! And and when I got to the part of Siddhartha Gautama was really a prince to the heir to the throne. I don't doubt that, but man, everything. First of all, he thought there was no God. It's an atheistic religion. Yeah. And then his words weren't written down for at least six hundred years before they were put to paper, and on leaves and and on ola leaves. And I was like. Well, how do they know what he said? And if he said there's no God, then this is 600 years long time. Yeah, 600 years is a long time, man. And so that didn't work out. So then I started studying Islam because I'm like, man, I don't see Christians blowing themselves up into buildings. And 9-11 really just rocked my world. I wasn't a Christian at the time, but it rocked my world. Yeah, know? I was going to ask you, give me a date on this. Like, what, what year would that, that cry uh, out to see, God thing have been in the that, nine I months? Was, I was 26, so I'm 47 now. I don't know. Back uh, 2005? 21. I think 2005. Okay. 
Yeah, 2000, 2000, 2004 was when I cried out to God, and then 2005 was the year that I got baptized because I wasn't looking for Jesus. Look, the only Jesus I had heard of was my dad saying his name every day, 15 yeah. times a day, not in the right context. So were you studying Buddhism and then Islam before the cry out to God? Nope. No, I was trying to figure out how God did it. I okay. knew somebody did something, and I didn't know who it was, and I wasn't thinking of Jesus. He was the last one on my mind. And so 9-11 rocked your world. Why or how? Just because, man, it, how, how could it not have? I remember exactly yeah. where I was and what I was doing and the temperature yeah. of the day. And But I'm, I mean, I'm talking about, like, spiritually or, or religiously no, just, or in your quest no, for— No, it was just—it was more so just, you know, our country got attacked. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, okay. You know, I didn't think anything spiritual. At the time, I didn't think anything spiritual. I just knew it was Muslims who did it. Yeah, and so, got it. Um, so when it came time to like finding this God who did it to me, I, I went to Islam and I got was like, it. okay, maybe Islam's maybe maybe Allah is the one who did it, you know? Because nine eleven stood out to me so much as an event, like wow, maybe they're they're so zealous, they must know the truth, you know? And so right. I started studying I Islam, it. and and I I wanted to get back to the roots of everything, like how did it start, so I could know whether or not it yeah. was believable. And when Muhammad got his first vision, wanted to throw himself off a cliff and. His cousin wife, Khadijah, was the one that had to convince him that it was an angelic visit. And his people called him a, a, a demon-possessed man. I'm like, I'm like, this is not off to a good start here. <laughs> Forget where it ended up at. This start is not. I was like, and so about that time, my mother-in-law gave me a case for Christ from Lee Strobel. Oh, yeah. And I started reading a case for Christ, and I was very intrigued by the information. But when I got to the historicity of Jesus, that's where it was like everything changed. Because when I realized that, man, you can put the Bible down and there's over four dozen clear, there's more than that, but there's four dozen clear rest of, uh, uh, testaments by enemy testimony, not friends of the faith, enemy testimony about Jesus being here, who, who Pontius Pilate put him to crucified, yep. as believers believed he came back from the dead. There, like all the information you In need to know. In pretty recent yeah, history. Yeah, first century. Yeah. Like during the time of Christ, right. this, these first century historians who really only wrote about political matters, right. and Jesus was not a political you know, leader. guy. Yep. Yeah, he wasn't a political leader, not trying to get a political movement. These political writers actually stopped and wrote about these events that were happening. And I was like, wait a second. If this guy was really here, like, what? Yeah. So that's when I was like, maybe I should pick up the word. And see, I didn't call it the word at the time, this, right. this, this Bible thing, and see what it says about this guy because I didn't think he was here. I just thought he was a myth, a made-up legend, you know, somebody you should emulate on good character. Yeah. I don't know. And, uh, man, when I when I found out that, that Jesus was actually here and then went to the Bible and found out the gospel, and all of a sudden I realized that was the God who did it. Now, this has been like three months later, and, and so it was October when I got saved, well, when I said that, Credit to altar God. call, you know, yeah. whatever. He had to have put his spirit in me at that point. That's that was what I'm October. saying theologically, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's kind of a nightmare I, because it's like, how, does that, how does that work? I don't, I don't know. I don't claim. So to that was that. October. You said that was about October, and, and then um, you had nine months getting off meth. Yeah, there was no. That was that was at the end of it. That was at the end of that nine months. Was, oh, was okay. my cry out to God. That was. That oh, was, October oh, oh. was the end of the nine months. October was the end of like four why, year period, and the end of the nine months final. Why were you trying to get off meth if you hadn't had, had the spirit in you? Because I'd lost everything, man. I knew I had a problem. Okay. I knew I was. I. I, mean, I went to sell a guy some a bag of reefer. He pulls up to pick me up to go to Atlanta to go to my friends to buy this ounce of reefer, and when I walked out the door, he was like, "Man, you look like a crackhead." And it was the first time that I realized that my physical appearance, because nobody, nobody really knew I was doing meth, you know? Right. Like, I was, that was kind of, you know, it was a handful of people or less that knew that I was doing that. And so when uh, when he called me out, I was like, whoa. This starts looking like yeah. something on the outside. Yeah, I was like, I, I 
think I probably ought to do something about this. Well, every other drug in the past or anything in my life, just put it down, you know? Yeah. Like, all right, let's process of walking away. And man, for nine months, I battled every single day and I couldn't get off. Yeah. I was I was stuck, dude. So then after done. the cryout, then you were just cold turkey done. Cold turkey done. He just took it. Still don't remember what it's like to be high. And I had no desire for it at all. I went from nine months of total hell, not being able to get off of it, to literally no desire. I, I don't remember what it's like to be high. He erased my slate, man. Amazing. And I'm like, uh, you know, huh. Um, something I was just thinking about, if your wife comes from a Christian home, the mother-in-law is giving you a case for Christ by Lee Strobel. You said that she had kind of walked away from the Lord and then came back. Her parents must just be just so thankful for what the Lord's done in their daughter's life and in your life. And they must have been very, very, very well, concerned about what was going on before that. Well, I don't know that they really knew how bad things were. I don't know. And, and I know it's been fun to watch because I don't know how personal their walk with God was before my wife and I it's and my son. It's been inspiring to them. Yeah, like we, now that they've seen us, we're a ministry family. I mean, we, my wife works for a, uh, a nonprofit. It's a, she, she works for a, a missions to North America. They plant churches all over America. Mm-hmm. She's the uh, accounts uh, manager for there. Mm-hmm. My son isn't right now, but has been playing but drums in a worship band for How old's your son? 24. Cool. He's, he is married to a girl that if she doesn't, we're, we're kind of praying and me, be in prayer for her because she's got some opportunities that are coming up that's going to catapult musical the, yeah wow i you know like i've just talked to brian and stuff and you're like i don't know if i want that for her, you know right. music industry is a funny thing but she yeah. is she is a phenomenal singer and songwriter like she's and when she first started we had to like push her head into the microphone like Alyssa, they can't hear you so yeah yeah but it's it, we're a godly family and i think my in-laws now have seen that and so their walk with Christ has become a more real thing in their own lives. That's awesome. I think it was just God using anybody and everybody at that moment. Because, man, I was doing I was doing lines on my meth dealer's table when I would go and, and pick up a bag. I would do a line. And he was telling me, you got to read the book of Revelation, man. you got to read the book of Revelation. The 12 <laughs> tribes are coming back. Okay, so God, God's, like, using my meth. So you know what the first book I read? When Revelation. I read? Yeah, and I was like, Whoa! Is this whole book like this? This is amazing stuff, man. I was blown away. And then my and then I went to Ecclesiastic. I couldn't even say the word. Yeah. Because it's a long story, but in my mom's autobiography, she had quoted Ecclesiastes 3. So I read that, and then my wife was like, well, start with uh, Matthew. I'm like, oh, the New Testament. Yeah. Well, I read that. I was like, this is great. And I read Mark. I was like, I just read the same thing. And I read <laughs> Luke, and I was like, honey, why, why is it? It's. I was just picturing Revelation the whole time, you know? And now I'm, like, reading the same story. I didn't get the nature of four Gospels. Right. I, man, when I came to Christ and started reading and studying, I had a very childlike faith because I wasn't I wasn't going to church yet because I didn't. And you didn't grow up in it. No, I didn't. Grow, you I had no knowledge you had whatsoever. No pegs, I had no never, Even though I was a devout atheist, I had never cracked the book once. Isn't that funny how that usually works? Like, we argue against something we have no knowledge of. I run into that all the time. There's mm-hmm. errors in the Bible. Can you give me one? They're there. Just one. I don't need ten. <laughs> I don't need five. I don't need three, two. I just one. Well, I know they're there. I'm like, no, what you did was you saw a website that said they were there. Yeah. And that's it. You never actually studied it. And so uh, why do you think people dwell in atheism so long having so few reasons for their actual atheism? Because of the same reason I did. You're your own God. You get to make the decisions for the day. Yeah. And that is, and that never changes when you're your own God. You get to make... You know what the best news I ever got, though? Like, the best news. Like, when I finally... Well, I still haven't figured it all out, but when I was starting to figure things out, 
there's not a day now or in my last 17 years or in the future that I'll have to be God. Not one day will go by that I will ever have to be God. Do you know what a weight off my shoulders that was? Oh, yeah. Like, when I, because when I came to God, I didn't come with some agenda. It wasn't like, okay, God, I'm going to come to you if you behave this way or do this for me. Yeah. I was so empty, man. I, I, I laid everything I had on the table. And I was like, if you're God, do something about it. You know, it was the old, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, <laughs> I literally told him, Jesus, take the wheel. I didn't, but that was, that was my that altar was what, call. And, was your and heart. so, man, I, I haven't had an agenda with God. I've just, I've just been going at whatever he says do and. So since the time that you've been a Christian, you've been working in ministry? I was, I came, (laughs) I I started running ahead of Jesus. I was so excited to serve him. And I I quickly learned that we go at his pace and not mine. (laughs) And so I had to, I had to learn real quick, like, um, here's how you listen to to God. I read Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. Don't just do something. Sit there. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then the other one was God doesn't need your ideas. Like he's already working. He doesn't need you. No, he doesn't need you. He's already at work. It it would behoove you to find where God's working and join join him. him. And so that's all I've ever done, man. I just, and I'm a really creative, big think. You and I are going to get along like two peas in a pod because I can tell you're a big thinker and yeah. big, you know, I believe in big things because my God's even bigger than my, my beliefs. Yeah. And so I'm like that, but I've also learned that, man, God doesn't necessarily need. No. What, so what I look to do is where is the seed that he's planted in me? Like he's already working on that. Then he plants a seed in me to join him there. And then I join him there and I get to collaborate with the creator of the universe on how to, awesome. how to go forth and, and bring what's it, hilarious is, I don't know if you can identify with this or not, but I'm, I'm ADD. I'm not terribly structured no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, uh, I'm not terribly disciplined in my like study of things. It's interesting. We're doing this daily Bible overview podcast where I do a daily devotion every day, six days a week. And it's the first time for a year and a half I've been in the word every day wow I mean, I, I, maybe not every day maybe there's been a couple days I've taken off because we I did two podcasts on yeah. one day or something but, but with regularity but it's like the Lord's just like okay Reister I understand yeah. how you are Yeah. and you got a long ways to go and so we've tried reading plans and we've tried discipline and we've tried giving you a wife that's really disciplined and you haven't been inspired by Uh that. And now I'm going to give you a podcast Yeah. and you're going to think that's cool at the beginning. Yeah. But about three months into it, you're going to be like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it's been such a blessing for me. So that's just how I am. But so getting back to Henry Blackaby's experience in God, I got through like the first two weeks of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, really, and if you made it through the first two that's weeks, you pretty much kept, you captured the, that, the essence of the whole thing. Isn't that yeah. hilarious? Yeah. So, uh, the only, I'm, in truth, in truth, the only reason I made it through is because I was leading it. So <laughs> if that weren't the case, no, here, so this, this, I wrote an apologetic curriculum called the Faith survival guide. I'm in the middle of, of redoing it and, uh, and reprinting it, um, just to make it a little bit better, but here's how it was written. Because I would have never, God knows me, I would have never finished the book. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he had he had these youth pastors that were meeting together, and they were like, "Is there an overview for apologetics, like the entry level, student level sort of thing?" And I was like, "There's really not. I can point you towards one study on the resurrection or creation mm-hmm. or biology. You know, I can point you to, to to points of interest, but like one captured source, not really. At least there wasn't at the time, and I don't really think there's something now that that does this." And so I was like, what do you need? He goes, well, we meet every Monday night. I was like, okay, I'll just have the lesson ready for you on Monday night. Man, there's 12 parts. It's like I did that it podcast. Thir- you got, you got to get this ready to prepare. Weeks. That's what I'm saying, man. Every weekend, I was like Saturday and Sunday, I was just nose to the grind all day in order to have not just the student's manual ready, 
but the leader's guide so that the leader would have the notes to teach the right. students. And that was every Monday. And I only missed one Monday, so it took me 13 weeks to write a 12-week curriculum. And did curriculum. that make you learn and grow a ton? Well, what it did was it forced me to do it. God knows me. Yeah. If he didn't bring those pastors asking yeah. for it and just said, hey, I need you to write this, it would have taken me 14 years to write it. Right. But he, he, was like, he was like, no, I'm going to present an opportunity because he's working. And I joined him. He presented an opportunity where it forced me to do it. And I thank God for it because he totally. Look, God knows who we are, man. He knows how we operate. And isn't that, isn't that freeing? Yeah. I mean, I don't I, ever have to be God. It's right. the greatest information I've ever learned. And, and I'm not suggesting that it's okay to be undisciplined and unstructured. And I'm never going to, oh, it's just the way I am. And I'm never going to work on that. But at the same time, the Lord meets us there. Yeah. And, and he finally well, is. He, proper kingdom. Here's, here's one thing I've noticed about Cedar Falls Bible Conference. Everybody's got their gifts and everybody's gifts are being paid forward. And that's the way it should work. You're not supposed to be gifted like that person. They're not supposed to be gifted like you. Yeah. Everybody brings their different gifts. But unfortunately, we look at somebody and we're like, well, I want to be like that person. Right. Well, stop trying to be like that person. I'm Look, I'm guilty, man. In the world of apologetics yep. and full confession, you're supposed to have 14 PhDs. Right. In full confession, the last grade I completed on my own was seventh grade. Yeah. Like I... I I don't know how I passed eighth grade. I didn't do it. I think they kicked me out of the school <laughs> and I dropped out in freshman year. Yeah. And so here I am walking into the world of apologetics and God's bringing me to the same place. Without all these, these credentials. Without all these letters after my name. And I'm sitting there like, I need to be like him and I need to be like him. Yeah. And God's finally like, I didn't call you with those credentials. Yeah. I needed somebody who didn't have the credentials. That's great So that stuff. you can inspire people like you. If I can do this, you can do this. Amen. You know? And now he's got me traveling the world and the country mostly because I feel like a, a, a missionary to America more than anything yeah. else just because America needs Jesus. Everybody's got their presupposed idea of who this Jesus I did. Yep. I thought he was a myth, a legend, and somebody that if you wanted to emulate some moral character that he might have had, yep. that was my preconceived notion. Apologetics flipped that notion. Yep. Showed me who he was historically. Showed me who he was through the scriptures. It was, yep. it was a, the study of apologetics. And apologetics doesn't save anybody. But, man, it's, a, it's an evangelical tool that if you're not using it, man, it's, it's, yep. it's huge. I want to wrap this up, but I got another question or just something for you to comment on. My wife and I were just sitting back here uh, today. We have Dr. Derek Thomas. I was interviewing him before you on the podcast. And the last two guys that preached, dude who did the fishbowl, Pastor Phil Hopper, yeah. dude before him, Pastor Jeff Schwartz and Traub. Yeah. Derek Thomas is a theologian. Yeah. He is, these two guys are a little bit more exciting, yeah. a little bit more passionate. Um, Derek Thomas stands behind the podium in a suit and tie and yeah. kind of with his British accent, uh, Welsh accent, kind of unpacks, you know, a psalm very eloquently with yeah. big words. And uh, there's a, a, a person who just said to me, man, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time listening to this. Like, slow your brain down and listen. This is great, great yeah. stuff. Yeah. We live in a culture, even a Christian culture, that does not want to engage their brain. It doesn't want to think. Yeah. We just want to quick and easy. G give me the yeah. the Cliff's Notes version, um, it, and that's to our own detriment, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you've already figured out I'm a pretty black and white, transparent person. Yeah. I can't stand Charles Stanley, for me. Yeah. Because he's very monotone when he talks, and it's always like this. It's always. It, I got ADD, man. I need to, <laughs> I need to, I need some goldfish. So, I need some goldfish illustrations you're, you're in my saying, life or something. You're saying, what I'm saying is, is I thank God Charles Stanley exists because I'm not Charles Stanley. Yeah. His people that get fed from from what he's doing yeah. may not feed off of what I'm doing. Yeah. And so the diversity in the kingdom yeah. is an important thing because I I I would probably fall asleep to somebody who's just standing still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My attention 
deficit. Yeah. I, I can't do it. Yeah. So I need goldfish. You yeah. know. So I think I personally thank God that there's a diversity here yeah. at Cedar Falls Bible Conference For sure. that is giving each person has a different learning level. Yeah. I, I personally I'm a, I'm an illustrated person. I'm a I'm a learn by yeah. seeing type of thing. Visual learner. So I, I, when I teach, I teach as though everybody's a visual learner. Yep. If you're not, it's going to help you. And if you are, it's going to be great for you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and, but that's me, yep. you know, and, and, and my yep. style is definitely different. But so that's what I'm saying. We shouldn't try to be like somebody else. Yeah, totally. And, and I guess I set that up more with a stylistic difference. What, what I'm really talking about is. But I, I, however, I do agree with you that I wish, I wish I could slow my brain down enough to like say, man, look at the way he's unpacking this. Cause the eloquence of that Psalm, like. I can appreciate that. Yeah, it's yeah. just I have a little bit of a hard time myself. What I'm, what I'm, I guess what I wanted you to comment on, and that's all good stuff, um, is just the the brainlessness. You said you t- you mentioned brainless yeah. Christians, yeah, and and just how unengaged so many Christians are with their mind. Yeah, like you got to well, engage your now, mind. Now you're gonna get me on a soapbox because now it. now that now that I can get behind whether your whether your style of learning. Yeah, you should be learning. You should be, you know, that's that's that talk I gave last night. I'm saved now. What? Because I want them to see, like, just because you get saved, that's not the end. Right. Not like like that's not it. Like, what that does is the grace of God saves you so that you can begin your journey in Christ. And that journey in Christ should be a continual growth. It should be continual wisdom and knowledge of who He is. Yeah. And who He's called you to be. And what, you know, I, I I hate, I don't hate. How do you word this correctly? Because it's such a churchy thing. God doesn't need you. Yeah. Like, I understand that sentiment. He, he doesn't. He's God. But he chose people. Right. The, the, how, you know, blessed are the feet of those who who carry the good news, you right. know? Like, God needs the talents that he's given you, Matt. Amen. To do what he's called Matt to do. And he's called me. And he's called. But I believe that's for every single person. Yeah. And so when people just get this nonchalant walk with Christ, I'm like, do you really know him? Right. Man, when you really meet the all-consuming God, he requires your attention. Like, yeah. you have to dig in. And that means something different for everybody. You know, that might be in accounting. Maybe your gift is in accounting. And you, my wife uses her gift in accounting. She's not a stand on the platform and, and talk to people, you know. Yep. She's more the behind the scenes. She'd rather run the lyrics on the screen for yep. worship than she'd ever want to be up on that, you know. Yep. And that's her gifting. So walk in that gifting. And so I think people come to church... They see the, the, the pastor, the elders, the deacons, whatever your model is. They see yeah. the greeters. They see the ushers. They see the Sunday school teachers and think that's great for all of them. And they're just satisfied to sit like a bump on a log. And I'm like, man, you're missing life. Totally. You're, you're, missing, you're missing life because Jesus came to give you life and life in abundance. And that's not in the future, in the heaven. I don't it's know now. about you. Man, the last 17 years, look, man, I'll be oh, in, I'm living the I'm, dream. I'm gonna be, is I'm that what you're going to say? I'm, I'm going to be in Mount St. Helens in two weeks going through a really rare tour. I just got a, a an email from a, a, a really, it was humbling because the, the apologist that sent me the emails way up there, man. I don't want to mention their name, yeah. but way up there in the apologetics world. So just to even be thought of in this way. But he's like, hey, I just submitted your um, name to um, a group that takes Christian influencers to Israel on a free trip. All you have to do is get to New York and back because they fly out of New York. It's a $5,500 trip. That's what I'm talking about when I say, like, the life in Christ is life in I, I didn't do that. Like, just yeah. God's opened doors for me in my life that yeah. I couldn't have opened. And, and, even and, and, and listen, there's nothing. I'm not doing anything other than I wake up every morning and I'm like, what are we doing, Jesus? Right. Like, it's all about you. What do we? I've, I've got nothing to bring to this except for what you yeah. give me. What are we doing? And so 
that opportunity for me to do that, that's not because God looks at me and he goes, I love Dave more than anybody else. Right. I wish every single person would. Ca- I can tell you've got the fire of God in you like I've got. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah. and, and God opens doors for people like that because he wants to open them for everybody. But if, if your nonchalant attitude yeah. and your relationship towards God is that, that's all you're going to get from well, I, him. And I would even say, even, even apart from the trips to Mount St. Helens or the cool experiences that we've been blessed with, the peace and the fulfillment Amen. and the purpose, Amen. even if I'm just sitting in my house all day, that's worth everything. You know what my favorite thing to do? Baptisms. That's no spotlight on anything. It's yep. just a simple, sometimes it's in somebody's pool at their house, yep. but that simplicity of, of the peace and the, and the just spiritual fulfillment that I feel like God is pouring into yeah. me at that moment to be a part of that. Yep. <sighs> Or, or just the peace of I'm 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 at peace with the Lord. Yeah, I'm okay. I, you know what I mean? I, I lived 30 years not being okay, and I'm okay. Yeah, that's that's that, yeah. you can't exchange that for a gift, brother. Right. Just just that knowing I'm okay. It's it's powerful. Man, Dave, we uh, came across you in a pretty happenstance sort of way. Obviously, it was providential. Um, it's been a great week with you. We haven't spent as much time together as I'd hope, but um, that'll change going forward. I, can, I, I, I think so. Tell. Yeah. Thanks for being on here with yeah, us. Yeah, man. And, uh, Thank you. That's awesome. Check Love in it. again. I can hear myself in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Just what you need. Exactly. <laughs> See it. The CC Podcast is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest running radio ministries. We are 100% donor funded and donations to our ministry are 100% tax deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links. And remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you. And thanks again for listening.